They're like, what's your reason for investing? Why are you investing? If you're investing to not lose money, you should invest in a specific product with the lowest probability of losing money. Correct. You know, it's like, should we buy treasuries? Sure. Or maybe you buy like US inflationary protected bonds. Okay. You're not going to lose money, but you're not going to make very much. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Casey, welcome to the Better Wealth Show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Caleb. I am very excited to have you on. Um, You can talk about real estate. You can talk about venture capital. You can talk about technology and how it's affecting the real estate world. Um, Really, really respect how you think, number one, and then just the success that you've had. So I appreciate, number one, you taking time to be on the show. And I love chatting with people that are a lot more successful wealthier and better looking than me. And I think you win in all three of those categories. And so we got to come on the show more often. I won't be, I won't be asking you the secret of looking uh, young and and good. That will be for episode two. Uh, But with all joking aside, man, thanks for being on the show. And I think my number one question would be how in the world did you get into space? Um, Because it's going to be very, very clear that you guys have a solid track record, the way that you think about wealth your track record when you think about real estate investing, like within five minutes of us talking for the first time, I'm like, you could teach me so much about how to analyze real estate and how to think about that. Um, and yet you you come from, your story is a powerful story. And so with that, maybe we can open that up and then there's a lot for us to get to. I started in the actual real estate space. I was the president of a property management company. So my role was making sure assets, real estate assets. So shopping centers, office buildings, apartments, you know, where people live, where people work, where people shop, making sure that the buildings themselves were operating at the top level, uh, making sure the tenants, so the people who were either renting space for their office, the residents in the apartments and the shop owners we're having a good experience. And then even more importantly, the customer. So if you're shopping at the shopping center, you have a good experience. Um, And there are really three elements to managing real estate. And that is the property management, the project management, and then the leasing. So property management being the actual management of the asset, the project management, that's if something big needs to get fixed, you know, a new roof, new heating and cooling, or the last piece, leasing. You know, we want to keep all of our buildings full. So in being exceptionally involved with each of those pieces of real estate, I got an incredible understanding of how wealth can be created through the owning of a physical asset. And the way the lens that we use is actually creating value for the customer through a physical asset. Love that. So what started my career quickly morphed into what I do today and what I viewed as a bigger opportunity. The real estate industry was just so old fashioned. You know, everyone uh, used Excel spreadsheets, cell phones to manage every aspect of real estate. I saw this opportunity to bring technology to a very old fashioned business. People often use the phrase dinosaur, that real estate owners are dinosaurs. They are. Uh, That's slowly changing. The dinosaurs are slowly going extinct. Kind of a 
negative uh, sentiment, but a new generation of real estate owner and operator is coming online. And that is a tech enabled one. And the opportunity that I saw was bringing technology to workflows, bringing technology to the customer. And in 2011, I launched Camber Creek. So what Camber Creek is, is a real estate focused venture capital fund. We invest in technology companies. So think software companies or business model innovation. So a new way of doing an existing business. And we invest in those companies. And then not only do we invest in them, but then we add value. So we buy an equity stake in each of these companies. And then what we have done is we've raised funds from real estate owners, real estate operators, and service providers to then be the customer of these technology companies. So we've aggregated a massive network of real estate owners, operators, and service providers who've invested into our funds on the one hand. And then on the other, we have these operating technology companies that need access to that group of people. And we act as the catalyst to provide access. So, so, so just to break that apart. So your underlying investment is in the technology companies that are trying to innovate real estate, or do you have real estate as a part of that underlying investment as well? Yeah, so great question. So the I left the real estate business behind. Okay. I actually hired myself out of a job and left that business. So for the past 10 years, I've been completely focused on the venture capital piece, which owns it, the operating business itself where the ownership of the real estate comes in are LPs, our limited partners, the investors into our funds are is where the real estate is owned. Got it. Okay, you might have to break that down a little bit more, but I, so, so it's essentially there's, there's two sides of the coin. You're invested in technology, but you're also, your investors are invested in real estate and that technology is enhancing that rate of return. Is, it, is that, am I articulating that properly? That's exactly right. Okay. So Which I way, love, by the way, I want to be you when I grow up because <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. There's a yeah. lot of funds out there that are like, hey, invest, invest with us. And really, you're just a pawn that's coughing up money. That's like yeah. the only value yeah. that you have. Exactly. What you're saying is cough up some money. And oh, by the way, we're bringing value because we're going to our rate of return or result is going to be greater because not only are we taking capital, which is important, but we're also taking technology and those together will take a good deal and make it great. Yeah. So we, we, the way we characterize it is it's a win, win, win. Love it. Where we don't ask people to cough up money. We present this opportunity uh, for them to have all these wins. But the way we think about it is our investor who owns real estate will win in two ways. Number one, they're going to make money in our funds. Right. Uh, number two, their core real estate holdings will be worth more because we will be able to provide them technology best practices. Love it. The third win is our portfolio company. So the company we've invested in will be given access to that customer, which will make that company more valuable, which then makes our fund more valuable, which... Yep. keeps this circle going for everyone to win, win, win. I love it. Value is one of those metrics that are sometimes hard to measure, but as an investor, I believe has to always be at the forefront. 
because Absolutely. bubbles happen when there's no underlying value to 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 have be the foundation and when you're if you're investing in value like you cannot go wrong yeah and a, a lot of, i would uh caution the expression of value i feel like that expression is just thrown out all the time yeah. it's Every firm, every group says, we add value, we're additive. We take an incredibly quantifiable approach to that and say, this company sells to apartments. Okay, that's great. How many apartments can we unlock for this company? And in this specific example, we could introduce that company to over a million apartment units. So we can then quantify and say, okay, if 20% or 30% of that million units adopt 200, 300,000 units. What is the value to that company per unit? And we can then quantify the amount of value we can drive and yep. tell the founding team, like, this is how much value we think we're going to add in addition to our money. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say you're additive. Yeah. We like to try to get incredibly granular and quantify that. I'm working on a, a concept right now that will be a book at some day unless someone just shoots just demolishes my concept then i won't publish it but it's it's called value leveraging and is essentially if, if you want to become wealthy influential get live a very intentional life it's like okay number one provide value i'm gonna get to part two which you'll be able to speak into and then number two leverage that maximize that go one to many with that value creation so one of the exercises that i have is there's an input and that really is your time your resources, your skill set, your relationship. So we have to audit what we do with our day. And then then the value really comes in either a service or a product. I don't know if any other thing that can quantify it's either a service or a product. Now, not all services are created equal, not all products are created equal. And so really the way that I articulated what value is, and I really appreciate you saying what you said because I am so sick and tired of provide value, is supply and demand. Is there, is, the, is there a demand for your value, your service, or your product? And economics would say the more demand that is, the, the more valuable that is. What, what am I missing in the concept? How can I better articulate that? Because I, I, I so desperately want people to give them a framework of not just to audit themselves, get really clear on what service and product they're going to be invested in. And then the third aspect of that is then how to leverage that. And, and we could probably talk about technology because technology is a lever on how to take value and, and make exponential wealth because you're taking that value and going one to many. Yeah. So I think one of the pieces and the way we think about what you just described is creating a, a delta or a differentiation. So absolutely you need to provide a certain amount of value. And to your point, if that value is in more demand, you can charge more. Uh, it, that really adds like a quantitative, you're, you're quantifying Correct. how much demand there is for it. In venture capital, we really look for the differentiation versus mm -hmm. the quantity. And what I mean by that is, let's take one of our portfolio companies, Notarize. The differentiation that they have is in 15 minutes sitting at your computer, you can have a document digital, digitally notarized anywhere in the country, except Iowa. Uh, that's, that's its own problem. Um, and 
the differentiation is you don't have to get in your car, drive to the FedEx Kinko's or try to find a notary. And additionally, you can do it 24 hours a day. So you don't have to hope it's open. And for that type of process where, you know, in closing the purchase of a home or a significant asset in buying a car, uh, you'll have to have multiple notarizations on the closing documents. There's a massive differentiation by being able to do a fully digital notarization. And that company, Notarize, has been able to leverage that differentiation, that delta, to grow exceptionally fast. So everything I agree with everything you say. And the lens that we use in our investment process and our investment due diligence is really trying to uncover the delta, the differentiation from the existing workflow. How is it just a more of a gut feeling then? Or is there a framework on how to decide between five products and which one has the best delta? So a lot of venture capitalists uh, might flip a coin. Yep. That, that's not our way. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> we take, a, again, a very quantitative approach to that. We, we use a number of metrics. The major ones are around the team. So team differentiation, the product differentiation, um, and then really the growth differentiation. And what I mean by the first, you know, in looking at any company, it's important to not just look at one company on an island or it as yeah. its own opportunity. It's important to compare, you know, notarized to all of its peers. Totally. One of which is going to FedEx Kinko's and having a person with a rubber stamp stamp it. The other ones are digital solutions. In comparing the teams, you can actually identify which company can execute more effectively. So that's the first piece. The second is around product. You know, for our model, when we introduce not just Notarize, but we introduce Notarize and its competitors to their customers, we get real feedback. You know, here are the three digital notarization solutions, which is the best. And in our experience, all of them picked Notarize. And then, you know, why did you pick Notarize? Could the other ones catch up? Could they make their product better? Could it look better? Could the user experience or the integration with their existing workflow be better? Um, so that's the second piece, really comparing contextually around the other companies, which one has the best product. And the last piece is around growth. So generally we find the first two elements directly contribute to the third, where if it's the best product, the best team in terms of execution, their track record of growth will look different than the other ones. And we can, again, take a, we can quantify that with their track record and more importantly, compare, okay, which one was more capital efficient, yep. which company spent their money most efficiently to grow. So the way we think about the investment is very analytical. Um, for us, it, it is a significant process. You know, it is not a feel. Yeah. Uh, it is a, I will say there at the end of the day, do you do the deal? Do you not do the deal? That does involve a feel, yeah. uh, but it's based on a lot of data. How do you define efficiency? Great question. So is it like uh, efficiency in my morning routine or efficiency with uh, capital? Well, yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Yes and yes. All right. So let's start with uh, capital. So for venture capital, the most important thing is capital efficiency for growth. 
the highest valuations are based on companies that have the highest growth rate with a sustainable business model. Okay. And I, the reason why I say sustainable, they might be losing money with their business model in the short term, but in the long term, they have to have a sustainable business model. So for every dollar invested, how much growth in terms of revenue can they contribute? Uh, that, that's how I would define efficiency there. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think it depends on your perspective. We at the, uh, for me, I like to think very long-term and it's quite hard day to day to continue to have a long-term perspective. Uh, but regularly I like to try to analyze, well, what am, what am I working on today, this week, this month, and how does it contribute to my goal over the next three to 10 years? Powerful. Um, and candidly, most of the time it's like, this is not contributing at all. This is something that has to get done today, yeah. this week, this month. But by continuously revisiting that concept, you can really drive the bigger picture. Right. I think, I think notably the two areas is wealth and health. It's like, and actually wealth is a sum total of more than just money. So it's really your financial life. You have to think long-term and decisions you make will affect your your future and your now. Same thing with health. Like the way that you live today will affect you. But oh my goodness, 30 years, we could look back and say, like, I was efficient, however you want to use that word. And it, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits, not just now, but 30 years from now. Yeah. And the idea of count compounding interest or compounding experience or compounding uh, return on investment, the idea of just compounding in general is massively valuable. And it's actually, I would argue, counterintuitive yep. for people and everyone, not just like, it's just a counterintuitive idea that for every dollar you invest today, it can compound versus, uh, you know, like waiting uh 20 years and then starting to invest is just a totally different mindset. Uh, and I think that same is true to your point with health, with uh, growing a company. It's just, that's an incredibly important part of wealth creation. Well, one thing I really appreciate you being on is your time's very valuable. Your fund, you, you guys only work with a select type of people. So I hope you explain that. I want number one to hear like what you guys are up to. And then, then I want to take a step back and saying, okay, what you know today, how can my audience look at real estate? What questions should they ask whether they invest in your fund or whether they do their own investments? What do we need to know about that as it relates to real estate? And then how can we, the little guys, take advantage of technology to enhance whatever we're doing, make, make efficient decisions as it relates to investing? We are currently deploying from our fourth fund. It's a $325 million fund. And the way we think about it is we identify companies not by stage or how much money they're looking to raise. We identify them based on how much value we can drive for them. So our first step is qualify companies that are related to real estate and then introduce them to real estate customers that are our investors. We call that our beta lab. So we run our beta lab process, which is additive to founders of technology companies. Uh, it is additive to our investors because they get to see and have like a first look, so to speak, at the leading technology companies in any space. And then once we've identified companies 
that are leading a specific problem or leading, providing a like leaders in a specific service. We then invest in that company. And to my earlier example, unlock the value of our investor network for that company. So that's the strategy with fund four. It worked for fund three. It worked for fund two. It worked for fund one. Uh, we're sticking to the same strategy. Um, and the exciting thing for us is with this fourth fund, we have the scale, we have the network to really provide value to any company in the real estate world. Cool. So that's any asset class, any service. And to carry that company through anywhere from a seed deal. So, you know, think a hundred thousand to a million dollars of revenue for their company all the way to growth stage, hundred plus million dollar revenue businesses. And by having such a wide spectrum, not only do we provide a diversified portfolio for our investors, uh, but we can also provide capital to the company for its entire life cycle. So that's where we are with our current investing platform. Uh, and then to your second question, hit me with that one. What, what was the second no, question? No, I'm forgetting my second question. I think it was, so with your ideal investor, um, I believe we talked there, you, there, you really work through family offices if I like, and so what is like the minimum investment in your fund and like, how can people be connected with you if they wanted to learn more about future funds? Yeah. So we, we have investors, everything from the family office to the public institution, to large publicly traded REITs, uh, private equity firms, the leading uh, international service providers to the real estate space. We have, so we have a spectrum of real estate in our investor group. And the key for us is we do not think uh, short-term. We have a very long-term perspective. Our first touch, our goal is to provide value. So for groups that are interested in trying to be leading edge or at least starting to adopt technology, the first question for us is, what does your real estate exposure look like today? Yep. How can we help? Yep. Like, what is a challenge you might be having today? And someone might say, well, it's hard for me to manage my investors, or I'd like to have a better feel for the foot traffic at some of my properties, or whatever data question they might have. When, when we do acquisitions, yep. it's really just ad hoc. We don't have a systematic approach to the data collection for acquisitions. So whatever that challenge they're facing, we like to help them solve it and see where they could become more efficient. Then we've started to build that relationship with them. At the right time, and uh, we're not, you know, we're not always raising capital. At the right time, when it is time for us to raise capital, we then can present them with the opportunity to invest in one of our funds. Um, and what we have found is by providing value first, yeah, when we go out to raise capital, it happens very quickly. Um, and that's really goes back to that long-term thinking, you know, yeah. we don't try to just pitch tons of people when we're out raising money, right. uh, we've already built the relationships. We already have provided value. There's this experience working together. So when it comes time to raise the fund, obviously real estate's a hot topic. So, you know, anywhere from Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, you know, this, this idea of like own assets and real estate's that asset. And so what I found is there's a 
large group of people that want to be real estate investors, which I love. And it's great because it can appreciate, you can create cash flow, you can use leverage, you can use special tax advantages. So real estate's a great asset. What, what can you teach us if we want to be real estate investors? What can you teach us, number one, to should we be real estate investors? Because I think there's some people that shouldn't, or they should be investing with people like you and not just doing it themselves. And number two, if you are going to be a real estate investor, what are like, what is the framework to think about how to evaluate an asset and like, how can, how can my audience take advantage of your knowledge and do it on a micro scale if they're, if they don't want to go through the fund route? Yep. So the, in, when investing, I got to put on my, uh, my old real estate hat, uh, dust it off, but yeah. So I'll, with real estate specifically, the way I think about it is there's two main points before making a real estate investment. And I think you nailed it with the first one. Should I even be doing this? And unpacking that a little bit, the key piece with real estate is there are real estate experts everywhere in the country trying to make money in real estate. And you don't want to be the biggest sucker. When times are really good, everyone can make money in real estate. The challenge is, Real estate is and has proven to always be cyclical. Yeah. So you don't want to be the next biggest sucker. And by that, I mean, make sure, number one, you are doing your homework. Make sure you yeah. are underwriting an asset. And more importantly, make sure you're able to underwrite an asset. Are you actually qualified? Like, don't kid yourself. If you are not qualified to be underwriting the asset, you probably are the biggest, next biggest sucker. Number one, make sure you're able to underwrite the asset. Number two, underwrite it. That brings to the next point, well, how do you underwrite a real estate asset? The lens that I have used and I have seen successfully executed across most of our portfolio, most of our, most of our LP network who own and operate real estate is underwriting for a longer time horizon cash flow. And what that specifically means is you buy an asset and you value it based on the current cash flow and the expected future cash flow. And that will directly take into account capital expenses. So if you buy an office building, do you have to replace the roof? Do you have to provide a tenant improvement package to bring in a new user? You know, like all of these expenses that would eat into your cash flow when underwriting a real estate asset, underwrite for cash flow. And if you do that successfully, you can then, to your point, bring in leverage. I, uh, you know, take have some debt. Ideally, your debt is also long term. Yep. Your debt can be fixed, so you know it's we're at well, we were at almost all time low interest rates. Yep. So it'd be incredibly valuable to have debt on the asset. And then, as the price of rents go up and the price of your debt stays the same, all of that upward pressure goes to your bottom line, means right. you make more cash flow, And that's why it has historically been an incredible asset to own for inflationary periods. Because yep. when the price of, let's say, housing goes up, your rent collected will go up and the price of your debt will stay the same, which means you get to take home more cash at the end of the day. So you're relatively protected from inflationary periods. And then also to your point, there's a lot of tax benefits to owning real estate. So if I had to nail it into a very small box, I would say analyze for cash flow, and then over the long term, 
your wealth creation, your wealth expansion, the actual expansion of the value of that asset will be significant. Two things down that were really significant in that answer. The number one, underwrite for cash flow. So cash flow is the metric that if you're looking at a deal, it's like, yes, it, you could get some tax benefits and yes, leverage is amazing, but like cash flow is that metric that's is yeah. should be the most important as it relates to underwriting a deal. The part I want to mention and highlight is be conservative. Like, don't yeah. be an optimist when you're like underwriting. Um, and I learned my lesson here through, um, I was back in the day, I was working at a bank and I wanted to get, I wanted to buy some storage units. And I was like, saw the power of leverage and all this stuff. And so like in my spreadsheet, I figured out a way to make this thing look great. The problem <laughs> was you take this loan from a 20 year to 15 and it blows up. Yeah. And so the, the president of the bank at the time just gave me a lot of wisdom and he said, Hey, I would always underwrite for like 10 year. Like he used some, I don't know exactly his deal. And he's like, if you can make it in this, then if you put in the 1520, it just enhances it. Yeah. But, but don't, saying. don't try to fit a deal around like a, a specific term, uh, because who knows what the future taxes are going to be, um, yeah. different regulations. And then you're like, so leveraged that like your one little thing goes wrong, i.e. like a two year sickness. I have to be careful on YouTube, uh, where things, you know, things happen. And, yeah. and then we're like, Oh, all that happened. So the other thing I wrote down is bring in leverage. I love that you're talking about leverage, but you're not underwriting for leverage. So it's Correct. like, does this make sense? And then does leverage enhance that? It's exactly yeah. what we preach. Number one, make a decision. Number two, figure out the most efficient or optimized way to make that decision happen. But I love that you separated both of those out in your answer. The way we think about it is really with any investment, you want to have an amazingly strong base, a low risk base with a lot of ways to win. Yeah. A lot of ways to win on the upside. That is the profile of a good investment versus quite often to your point where like the timing matters, the debt matters. You don't want a precarious base of an investment with a lot of ways to lose. Yeah. Like if that happens, we're going to lose money. Or if that happens, yeah. we're going to lose money. It's like, well, if all those things happen. We'll be okay. It won't yeah. be great, but we'll make a little bit. And if the good things happen, then we'll make a lot. I don't want you to have to answer this if it's going to compromise you. So you can, you can plead the fifth on this. Is there other investments, i.e. like the stock market or mutual funds or other investments that you see a lot of people going into that you say, when, when we look at it through the lens of low risk, lots of upside, it kind of makes you wonder. And I'll go first. I feel like the mutual fund is like great, but like it doesn't get, in my opinion, I don't meet anybody. I've never had a single person on the show that's made multiple millions from a mutual fund. It's usually the owner of the, so the owner of the mutual fund. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not. Cleaning up. Any, yeah. So, but that's just an observation I've made. It's like, okay, I'm not saying it's a bad place. It could be a great place to store capital and invest and diversify, but it's like, talk about no very little like crazy upside but like yeah. you still get downside and especially in how the average investor invest i'll just tee that up and you can take that answer yeah. however you want so i uh i am not to one one to give advice on things that i am not involved in so i'm involved in very few things uh real estate and venture capital uh 
I agree with everything you said about mutual funds. I have zero mutual fund exposure personally. So uh, I wouldn't, can't really speak to it. The key well, the way I think about it is like, what's your reason for investing? Like that. Why, why are you investing? If you're investing to not lose money, you should invest in a specific product with the lowest probability of losing money. Correct. You know, it's like, should we buy treasuries? Sure. Or maybe you buy like US inflationary protected tre- uh, bonds. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to lose money, but you're not going to make very much. Correct. Um, so in thinking about what to put money into, the, like the way I try to bucket it is like, why am I doing it? For me personally, I think about it from two lenses, uh, cash flow, which is real estate and capital appreciation, which is venture capital. Venture, venture deals don't cash flow. They lose money every year uh, for quite a while, but they grow incredibly fast. So your capital can have a significant multiple, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, one of our portfolio companies did 17x recently. Like that doesn't happen in real estate. Yeah, uh, or at least we comp- hope it doesn't happen in real estate. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rare. I wouldn't yeah. say it doesn't. It's exceptionally rare and a low probability. Mm-hmm. Real estate, on the other hand, is lower risk quite yep. often. Uh, significantly lower multiples, but consistent cash flow. So for me, I, I try to keep it pretty simple. There's just cash flow. I do things for cash flow. I do things for capital appreciation. And that's that's it for me. And is it fair to say that when you look at something to appreciate and you're obviously looking for massive upside, the way that you really can articulate the value is the future cash flow stream? Yes. Is, is that is that, am I articulating that well? And are you saying like, if something grows at a 10 X multiple, like obviously that results in a future cash flow stream, whereas real estate could maybe be more steady, less risk, but it's just 20 years, see me in 20 years, it's not even going to be comparable. And that's why a good diverse investment, you know, portfolio is having a combination of assets that are safer cash flowing now and assets that give you upside to give you more cash flow in the future. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, you're absolutely right. If you just looked at the two cash flow streams, or you could say the proposed two cash flow streams from the two different types of investments, a real estate cash flow stream is likely going to be more linear. Yep. And a more linear growth trajectory, because you have that expectation and that expectation has a higher degree of confidence. Uh, it's lower risk. Yep. And the cash flow, a linear growth of cash flow is really appealing. Whereas a exponential cash flow stream from a venture deal that the actual cash flow doesn't happen till some number of years and quite often significant number of years down the road. Mm. Uh, that is like the time between now and future cash start a future cash flow. That's very risky. Yep. But because it's an exponential growth on the cash flow curve, there's the potential for that massive upside. So they are very different. Uh, and I like to have two yep. very different shaped curves. Again, not investment advice. Don't sue me. Don't sue Casey. <laughs> okay. What, what type of mix 
are you do you have and or does it just depend on the goals yeah so in my mind there is not a one size fits all for any type of investment decision every single person has different priorities different goals i mean if you're 20 it's going to look very different than if you're 80. yeah it makes a lot of sense Uh, or it should look very different yeah (laughs) maybe that 80 year old likes to grow 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 um so yeah, it all depends on the person. We don't, yep. I don't, I personally don't have a specific sweet spot. Starting to be one of my favorite questions to ask, knowing what you know, but you're 25 years old, have little money, no connections, but you have all your knowledge. You, okay. Where, what are you prioritizing? What are you focused on um, right now? Knowing what you know, but again, like you're just not in the situation you are today. Um, how are you going to take your knowledge and, and get to where you want to in life. Yeah, so it's a little cliche. I know. But I am a big believer of passion. Okay. Yeah, me too, man. It's like the it, when you when you or for me personally, when I found what I was passionate about, uh, it made work incredibly fun, easy, and uh, the amount of output and execution that I could do in any one day spiked dramatically. So discovering what that spark or passion is would be, if I had to look back, like I would have wanted to discover it sooner, faster, earlier, and then taking that the next step. Okay. I've discovered that passion. It's, it is exceptionally valuable to have the connections to start with money to like that, all of that makes everything easier. You, but there's countless stories of people who work exceptionally hard. People are passionate about an idea. They work exceptionally hard and they just make it happen. Like if you scroll LinkedIn, you're bound to see one or two every single day of like a story like that. And by finding one's passion, you can then go on that path of making stuff happen. And what I have found is if you are additive to other people, if you give your time, give your connections, it comes back so much stronger Uh, and people are so willing to help and help you get to the right spot, help you talk to the people you need to talk to. And it starts by giving. I mean, one of my favorite stories, um, I helped a company I think it was eight, nine years ago at this point. I helped a company talk to three investors. It wasn't in the real estate space. So it wasn't relevant for me. I helped the person, the CEO, redo his pitch deck, practice his pitch, and introduced him to three investors, one of which who invested. And I did it because it was fun. Like, I yeah. just really enjoyed it. And it was, he was a good person and thought it was fun. About seven years later, I asked him for an introduction And it was one, it started with one of the best introductions I'd ever was ever given, which then led to a really big partnership for us. And, you know, I, I sent him a thank you. And and he was in making that introduction. He was actually like thanking me for giving him the opportunity to, to make the introduction for me. And I was like, this is incredible. Like you're helping me and you're thanking me. Uh, And it was that experience. that just like, for me personally, it was an amazing example of like help other people and it all come around 10, 15, maybe 20 years later. And at 25, I think it's hard to have that long-term perspective. Yeah. It was hard for me. You know, it's like, what's happening today? What's happening tomorrow? 
it's hard to have that very like pull back and have that big picture perspective at a young age. I love that, man. I promise that we didn't take no- like we didn't share notes before this interview. I think, <laughs> I th- I mean, your answers are very much in alignment of what I've been preaching, and I think that is one of the reasons I'm so attracted to what you're about because a lot of people would give a standard buy real estate answer kind of <laughs> deal because they're biased. But you you talked about giving, finding your passion. You've talked multiple times about knowing why you do what you do, because what's the purpose of investing in something that gets you an amazing result if it doesn't translate into what you actually want out of your life? And the cool thing is you've been taking all of that and creating quantifiable. I I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to say that word, by the way. Um, I I was like nervous to say that across the interview, quantifiable value. And you've obviously you're you've done well and you've been helping a lot of people throughout the process. I know we have to be wrapping up soon. Is there anything else that you want to talk about as it relates to real estate technology to my audience who desperately wants to live intentionally and be wise with their money? And, and so anything else you want to say before I tee up the last question? Yeah. So the, the one, it's like a guiding principle for us is and I've said it already, but I think it's worth just reiterating is we take a very long-term perspective and to such an extreme where we make investments in companies in the venture capital world, quite often people talk about bets. And the way we think about it is a very long-term thought out plan is an investment, a very short-term opportunistic speculative strategy is a bet. And it's right now, I mean, the, the economy the, is at a unique time. There's supply chain issues. There's conversations at the Fed about in interest rate increases. There's all this uncertainty. And for us, it takes an incredible discipline and focus. And those are the, that's the principle, discipline and focus for us to have a very long-term perspective. And Right now, we feel when we talk about our due diligence process, our pipeline of companies, we keep talking about that every week in our organization. Discipline is huge and focus right now more than ever to have that long-term goal and long-term perspective in mind. I love that, man. Um, it's impossible to be disciplined and focus if you don't have a, a bigger metric. Right long-term and, and so often people, you know, struggle with that. And so that's one of the, one of the first things that we try to do as a company is like, if I, if I could give someone one thing, it's a, it's something bigger than themselves to work towards, to live for, to invest for. And I, I think that becomes the ultimate metric that you filter your decisions on where, who you spend time with, what you, what you do, what you put in your body, you know, where to invest. It all kind of goes into you know, what is, what is the ultimate goal? And you start changing your behavior today um, as it relates to that. Yep. That makes sense. Um, Okay. I'm going to put on my different hat on now um, as it relates to this last question. And it really is a legacy question, which I, I can predict your answer, but I'm not going to. Um, And the legacy question essentially goes like this. This is, this is your last day on earth. You're with the people that you love the most. You can't give them any podcast or book or anything that you've written, 
you can just you just have one less conversation. What are you going to make sure to focus on, and what is that conversation going to look like? I've always really tried to enjoy everything I do. I haven't really thought that question through candidly,、uh, but what comes to mind is to like have fun and enjoy the people you're with. You know, like it, it, it's really simple, but like if it's your family, for me, it was my family, and I. I have always been very close to my family. I have a,、uh, a family of my own now, and it's like enjoy the time and activities with your family. And I think like the my generation is the generation of experiences. You know, we target and try to、uh, have experiences, and I fall right into that generalization of my generation.、Uh, so it would be having amazing experiences with my family and. Like for for them to have the same for themselves, it's awesome. It's awesome.、Um, one last question: financial independence. What is that? What does that word resonate for you? And like, how would you articulate financial、yeah. independence? I feel like it's a, a self actualization, and for every person, that's different. You know, for a person who lives with their parents, financial independence might be not living with their parents. Yeah. They might be still getting help from their parents,、yeah. uh, but you know. So, I think it's a very personal question, and for me,、uh, it was independence, like、yeah. doing something that was my own. Yeah, and not to say that I, I, you know, I, I think an important piece is I was given an incredible opportunity to build something. Yeah,、uh, I had an incredible foundation to build it on, and for me. With that foundation, I was able to build something that for, that was incredibly satisfying to do with a team of people at Camber Creek、uh, to make something that's bigger than myself. So,、cool. it, each person it, is a different. I'd say like independence looks very different, and it should be defined differently for every person. I don't think there's like a an objective independent definition for each person. One of the things that I love about the legacy question is. Whether people know it or not, they articulate some of their core value, and they articulate a part of their financial freedom, independence, whatever that metric is. And you've been very consistent across the board about experiences, spending time with the people that you love, and all that stuff.、I、have a funny feeling when you think about who you spend time with, where you invest your money, and all that stuff. That those things. Are a high filter. I won't. I won't ever say that they're the number one filter, but they're high filter, and and that helps you get clarity on what you should be doing with your life. How can my audience support what you're doing? I know that you came on as a as a big favor to just to, to just our audience, but is there anything that we can add value to you and and help what you guys are up to in the world? Yeah, anyone in the real estate space that is looking to further optimize their business to run it with more technology. Uh, we're here to help. You know, it is it is helpful for us to help groups in the real estate space because then we hear about the challenges firsthand and in real time. And you know, it's like that perspective of hearing two, three, four times, "Hey, I'm having trouble、yep. communicating with tenants in this crazy time of COVID.、Uh, how should I be communicating when they're working from home, working from the office, working from wherever in another country?" What have you seen? And then we know. Okay, we should be looking for that answer.、Uh, so, 
that that's what would be most helpful for us. How can people reach out to you? They're more than happy. They can reach out through our website. Uh, we're more than happy to connect directly. Either way works for us. All right. And we will put that in the show notes, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast. Thank you again for, for being a part of just this show, sharing your wisdom and being uh, really authentic. I, I appreciate your time, your expertise and how you communicate. Thank you, Caleb. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.